All right, thank you so much for that. Turn your Bibles today to Philippians chapter 4 while the children are being dismissed. Uh, this morning, thank you so much to the Evens being so faithful, teaching them every Sunday and uh, allowing us to have uh, uh, some focused time in here. Amen. Do you know no preacher can ever out-preach a baby? doesn't matter how good he is. And uh, so that, that's a blessing that we're able to take them and teach the kids on their own level there. We're in Philippians chapter 4 today. Today I want to talk to you about something that uh, really this is an extremely practical topic and hopefully a practical message for you. Uh, we've been focusing on being found faithful. It's our theme this year and, and specifically about being a steward with what God's given us and what God's blessed us with uh, in our life. And I want to begin today with a question that will uh, be, become evident here in a minute, but uh, why I'm asking this, but how important are our thoughts, these uh, things that float around in our cranial uh, sphere there, how important are our thoughts? You know, your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your character. Your character becomes your destiny. Uh, thoughts are really important. Uh, it's important for us to let the mind of the master be the master of our mind and uh, of our thoughts. And that's what we want to focus on today. Our thoughts control our perception of who God is. Today I want to look at the, specifically the uh, focus will be on stress and anxiety and how a biblical thoughts, uh, thought life can help us to overcome these things. So, if you came here today and you're all stressed out, you came to the right place. Amen. We're going to talk about it. And if you're not stressed at all, that's fine. You'll still, I think, find yourself in some of these uh, scriptures we're going to talk about today. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse number 4. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you today about being found faithful in our thoughts. Father, I pray you'd help us now as we look at these different scriptures and verses in this text. Help us to learn something that we can apply in Jesus' name. Amen. We live today in a unique era, one that literally vibrates us with stimulants and inundates us with choices all day long, every day of our life. We deal with previously unknown stress inducers, really, in our society today. Now, 150 years ago, all you really had to worry about was where you're going to get your next meal, whether you'll survive the night, whether you'll live long enough to have children, Simple things like that. Our grandparents, they uh, faced anxiety about feeding their families through the Great Depression. Uh, coming home alive from World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Winning the Cold War so that we don't get nuked. Now today we have real problems. Like finding safe spaces. How about the horror of our phone running out and we forgot our charger. Left it at home. Not only that, if our phone dies, we're not going to be able to see our brother's ex-girlfriend's cousin's response to my Facebook post. We got things to stress about. Here's one. It's 20 degrees out. Your friend picks you up and they don't have heated seats. What are you going to do about that? 
You order a grande ice, sugar-free vanilla latte with soy milk, and they use almond milk. I mean, we got stuff to stress about today. Now, I'm a little bit picking on uh, millennials today, and I don't, I don't want to do, I can do that because I am one. Amen? So, amen? All right. Got the years mixed up there. Justified or not, we live in stressful days. We, uh, I wonder if part of our difficulty isn't that we fill our lives to capacity and then even add more. We just continue to fill ourselves up and fill ourselves up until we uh, really are starting to get filled with anxiety and stress. We crowd out things like relationships and rest out of our life by filling it with so much going on. Approximately 7 in 10 Americans report that they experience stress. If you are one of the three in here and you don't experience any stress, maybe you're the one causing it. Just a thought. Uh, just a thought. The symptoms are instability, uh, irritability, fatigue, feeling overwhelmed, changes in sleeping habits. Maybe some of those sound familiar to you. Employers spend over $300 billion with a B, dollars a year on employees' stress-related health care and missed work. Now, if we ignore this in our life, then stress and its companion, which is worry, will overtake our thoughts, will rule our emotions, will compromise our health. We blame stress for the tension that uh, is brought about in our minds, in our bodies, in our relationships, and it can bring tension. Don't you wish stress burned calories? You'd be a supermodel. <laughs> but it doesn't. It causes all kinds of other problems. Then there's the burdens that come into your life in which you can't control. The sickness that affects your family, the loss of a job or relationship conflicts. I'm talking about uncontrollable events in your life that keep you awake at night. You might not be able to change them, but you certainly cannot ignore them. Everyone handles stress in their own way. Years ago, one of my co-workers gave me a, a stress ball. Have you ever seen one of those? Uh, and, uh, and I tried it out. You know what? It really works. It really does. I found out later I wasn't supposed to wing it at the head of the one who was stressing me out, but that works if you use that stress ball in that way. Uh, another way of thinking about being stressed is to turn it around. What stress spells backwards? Desserts. Huh? That helps us out, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but a dessert can always help to relieve my stress. But there are two basic responses that, that, that to stress that will determine your reactions to it. One's negative and one's positive. Negative responses to stress are obvious. Uh, becoming critical of others. Uh, hiding at work or at church, drinking or substance abuse, holding pity parties. These responses will help you to feel better momentarily, but they won't do anything for you long term. Ultimately, they create more problems of their own, and they rob your heart of peace. There's a Christian doctor that made this statement, the sickest people I have encountered were those who are harboring resentment Bitterness, anger, and hatred toward another person, God, or for themselves. He continued with this incredible statement. He said, I found that stress levels change drastically when a patient changes his perceptions. Got that? Changes his perceptions, not changes his prescriptions. 
The doctor confirms what God's word already teaches. Changing our thinking is the best cure for many of the pressures of life. Uh, how do we do that? The Bible talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says to be ye transformed uh, by the renewing of your mind through the word of God. The answer to fear and anxiety is to renew our minds, not just change them. And how do we do that? We do that through the word of God. The truth is that just like all other areas of our Christian life that we've looked at, we are to steward our thoughts. Now, modern science has discovered that uh, our thoughts create physical and emotional responses. Long before uh, they did, made these discoveries about how powerful our thoughts are, how powerful the right kind of thinking is, God's Word has told us all about it. In 1971, there was an advertising campaign that uh, was put out uh, with the, that introduced the slogan, A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And uh, it was set around uh, the idea of raising money so young people could get an education. But I, I want to think about this from another angle. What if today our minds are wasted by overuse? We live in a time today of information explosion. 100 billion emails are sent every day. That's more than 10 times the world population. Each day, 5,000 new books are published. 270,000 text messages are sent worldwide per second. That's over 8 trillion a year. You're being swamped daily by a tidal wave of information. 24-7, 365. The whole world is now live and in real time. Even if you watch the news, a news anchor will be talking and there will be a, an image to the right, a sidebar on top, a sidebar on the bottom, and uh, or, or, or crawling across of top and bottom. And you're really seeing five sources of information on one screen at one time. Is there any wonder that we are distracted? Proverbs 4.25, Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. And yet, even today, we look without seeing, we listen without hearing, we speak without understanding. We have learned how to make a living, but not how to make a life. We've added years to life, but we haven't added life to years. We've been to the moon and back, but we can't get across the street to meet our neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but I think we'd all agree we haven't really conquered inner space. That's where the Bible comes in. That's where the Word of God steps in. The human heart remains unruly. We're stressed out. We're uh, full of anxiety. We battle with depression. And, uh, and it's amazing to me because we live in a time that we have more than really the world has ever, any human history has ever had before. We have so much, especially in our country today, we don't face starvation, we face obesity because we have too much. And so I, I want to look at this today. Uh, the reason that we're stressed out isn't because of what we have or what we don't have. It's a heart problem. It's a thought problem. And again, I ask, what if our minds are wasted by overuse? Do we neglect the word of God because we allow stress and anxiety to consume our thoughts? Again, I want to remind you we are students. We are to be found faithful and to steward our thoughts. 
Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like you're failing one or more areas of your life? Do you ever feel like you've got too much to do and too little time to do it in? What can you do to get some peace? God's prescription is found in the Word of God. And we read uh, some of these passages to be helped to us today. I want to look at a Bible prescription for peace. Uh, look at verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 4 as we begin with the first step is to think with praise. The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, I've always found it interesting, and you maybe know what I'm talking about here, but our, our human nature, we tend to kind of act like the world began the day we were born. Now, I know we don't, uh, we, we know factually that that's not true, but we kind of act and think like that. It started the day we Now, I know that the world did not start on March 28, 1974, the day I was born. I don't understand much the point of it before uh, that happened, but uh, that's kind of how we think. We think of uh, the, the world starting when we were born. Uh, but lest you think that life was easy before your time, and uh, can I just tell you today, stress is not a new thing. The Christians in Philippi, where this was written to, were living in a Roman culture where they were ridiculed and where they were condemned. In fact, to be a Christian in Roman society, you were part of a hated minority. You were deemed stupid, and not only were you deemed stupid, you were deemed expendable. Uh, you were uh, Christians in that day were martyred by the thousands. They were imprisoned. They were crucified. They were burned alive. They had these big games where they allowed people to be spectators to wild animals tearing Christians apart. Roman Christians were under a lot of pressure. You talk about stress. Talk about anxiety. That's almost as bad as when the internet goes down at your house. You know what I'm saying? We don't know the kind of anxiety they were facing and it's to this church that Paul gives the message rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice how do you get up in the morning do you leap out of bed alarm goes off and hallelujah for another day uh, I think that sometimes uh, the we need help with our praise thinking in the morning I'd like what John J. Welsh said the older generation thought nothing of getting up at five every morning. Younger generation doesn't think much of it either. <laughs> Amen. Uh, getting up is hard for us. Now, I happen to be a morning person. Uh, I like mornings. This morning I was here before seven o'clock and the sky was just a brilliant red over there in the east and beautiful and it wasn't cold out. Uh, uh, comparatively speaking, it felt great outside. But the truth is it's a, a morning person is a terrible thing to be. Nobody likes morning people. Even morning people don't like other morning people. Have you ever noticed that? If you're a morning person, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, my wife thinks if we were meant to pop out of bed, we'd sleep in toasters. Amen. But uh, what do we do in the morning? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In fact, if you're married to a non-morning person, tomorrow morning, wake them up. And tell them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And then run. Amen. Let us, let us know what kind of casket you want uh, before you do it. We ought to rejoice though. Rejoice. The object of our praise. Look at what it says to rejoice. By the way, if this verse said to rejoice in our circumstances, we could easily use the excuse, but I'm not with 
living in good circumstances right now. But it doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, the, the command to rejoice is not rooted in the, our circumstances. It is rooted in the goodness of God. When we focus our hearts on the Lord, then we have a perfect and a constant object of praise, don't we? Rejoice in the Lord always. Deuteronomy 10.21, He is thy praise and he is thy God that he hath done for thee great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. Listen, we have no problem rejoicing when we get a raise or when we develop a new relationship or we uh, find a great deal on something we've been waiting for. We come into some money. We don't have any problem rejoicing then. But the joy that's talking about here is not an emotional response to our outward circumstances. It's much better. It is a heart's response to where we choose to rejoice in the Lord. You see, thinking with praise, it all comes down to our relationship with the Lord. Are you thinking with praise? Are you able to rejoice in the Lord always? You know, if we rejoice in the Lord, we can do that despite bad things happening in our lives at the time. Your ability to praise the Lord, your ability to rejoice in the Lord is directly connected with your concept of who God is. May I give you a few? God is in, uh, infinite. He's without origin or end. Don't ask me to humanly explain that I can't. The Bible says that Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. But it's a, it's a, a comforting thing to serve a God who's infinite. God is also immutable. That means he never changes. Malachi 3, 6, for I am the Lord and I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob were not consumed. What all this means very simply is that God is dependable. We can depend on an unchanging God. Many things in our lives will change, sometimes for the worse, but we serve a God whose purposes are unfailing. His promises are unassailable. Listen, it's because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever that he can say in Romans 8, 38, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, uh, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God. It's a, he's unchangeable. That's not going to change. That's something we can rejoice in. Amen? That's something, hey, you can rejoice in the fact that if nobody else loves you, there is one that does. The Lord's love never changes for us. He's immutable. Number three, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. I'm glad I serve a God more powerful than my problems. Amen? He's more powerful than cancer. He's more powerful than disease. He's more powerful than anything Satan throws in our path. We serve a God who is omnipotent. He's also omniscient. This means he's all-knowing. Uh, Psalm 147, 5, great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. God knows everything. He knows your past, and yet he's willing to forgive you. He knows your present, yet he's willing to sustain you. He knows your future, so why not trust in him for it? Amen? God knows. He's omniscient. God is omnipresent. He's always everywhere. Psalm 139, 7. Where shall I go uh, from thy spirit? Or whether shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, uh, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me, 
God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Praise Him. The question was asked in Jeremiah 23, 24, Can any man hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? Hey, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. That, mean, that means that no matter where you are, what's happening in your life, God is there with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And then God is good. Uh, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. And we could go on and on with the attributes of God. There's many. But I'm just simply saying today, friends, we have something to rejoice in. Even when life does not look the best. We have something to rejoice in even when there's pain, when there's sickness, when there's family problems, when there's relationship issues, when there's conflict in our life. We have the Lord to rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We have the opportunity of praise. Now, most of us would be okay if being commanded to rejoice in the Lord, most of us would be all right if we could kind of pick the days to do that in. Maybe like whatever your day off is, Saturday or Friday, we could rejoice in the Lord that day. Or whenever we don't have to deal with those horrible people we have to work with. Or, or uh, whatever the people that we have to spend time we don't like. We can pick the time to rejoice, but there's a really annoying word in this verse that just takes all of that out. Can I point it out to you? Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. That means even in our worst days. Even when we have a flat tire. Ever run out of gas? Oh man, I ran out of gas I think once. I don't remember doing it more than once. I kind of learned my lesson. It's there's no excuse for it. Not there's a gauge in your car run out of gas. You know what I'm saying? But it's hard to rejoice. Isn't it? Hard to rejoice when the kids are misbehaving. Hard to rejoice when you have a bill you can't pay. It's hard to rejoice when we get mistreated. But the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. The apostles, they displayed this attitude. Even when they were beaten for preaching the gospel, they rejoiced. Now, I think we could all agree that if we were beaten and thrown in jail unfairly for doing nothing legally wrong, that would be a recipe for a bad day, wouldn't you say? I think we'd probably call up the printer and, hey, I need to order uh, 500 invitations. What are you doing? I'm having a pity party and I want everybody to be there. That'd be a perfect time for that. That's not the apostles, though. Now, you remember, by the way, there were just men just like us. Sometimes we look at people in the Bible and we think they were some kind of superhumans. No, they felt the pain of every stripe that was laid on them. They felt the humiliation of being unjustly accused. They felt the unfairness of all, yet they rejoiced in it. Acts 5.41, and this is after they were beaten and imprisoned, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I don't know about you, but that's just right out, flat out convicting, isn't it? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy. These apostles carried such a high view of Christ that they rejoiced in anything that was attached to his name. They rejoiced in any way they might be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, that's an amazing thing. The Psalms are filled with praises. As you read through the Psalms, and they're not filled with praises by a man who had no problems, but a, of a man who found 
in the Lord a reason for praise. David in Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with song I praise Him. Why? Because He helped him. Rejoicing in the Lord and the midst of bad circumstances, in the midst of bad things going out on will help your anxiety, will help reduce your stress. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not only because God commands it, because it greatly helps us. It'll help your outlook to rejoice in hard times. Dr. A.D. Hart says anxiety and laughter cannot coexist. Anxiety and rejoicing, I believe, cannot coexist. Maybe in 10 years I'll attribute that statement to me. Anxiety and rejoicing cannot coexist. Try it out. As believers, we always have reason to rejoice in Christ. We need to do rejoicing. Listen, uh, so think with praise. And then secondly, think with moderation. Now, it, it would be hard enough to think with praise if our only opponent was... Circumstances. Circumstances certainly get in the way of praising, don't they? I mean, bad things are happening. We're stressed out. We've got a really bad day going on, and we're supposed to rejoice. It's hard to do. I mean, this is easy to talk about here on a Sunday morning when everything's going fine, but it's a really hard thing to put into practice when we're having a really, really bad day. But it'd be bad enough then, but on top of that, you have an active enemy who constantly tries to discourage you. Satan is a master at planting Negative thoughts in your mind. The Bible calls him the accuser of the saints. You ever hear that knocking on your mind, reminding you of how worthless you are, people really knew who you were, that accusation? Satan's constantly accusing the saints. He also does that to the Lord, as we see in Job, uh, accusing us to him. But he makes it his business to steal our joy. He makes it his business to magnify our problems and magnify our anxiety. Randy Alcorn said this, Satan wishes to destroy our faith through suffering. God desires to uh, refine our faith through suffering. So what's the answer to the mental attacks to Satan? It is to think with moderation. Look what the Bible says here in verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now the word moderation comes from the Greek word epikeos. It means to be suitable, to be fair, mild, gentle. You ever known that person that isn't ruffled by anything? I mean, it doesn't matter what hits them. They're just calm, easygoing. You know, the person that drives you nuts, somebody that just isn't really upset about anything, and uh, they face life uh, content. That's, the, that's what moderation is. And it's what we ought to really strive for. Most of us, though, are truly never content in God alone. We do worry about our accomplishments. We do worry about what other people think about us. Our minds really become consumed with our own insecurity. And when all this begins to build up, we have got to find our contentment in the Lord. Like a small child who's, who, uh, when fear disappears, when he's in the, in the uh, presence of his dad, Hebrews 13, 5, be content with such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let us be content in Him. Let us praise Him. Think with moderation. Think with praise. Rest in His security. In our frantic struggles and schedules, we're driven by accomplishment. We almost fear rest. But waiting time is not wasted time. 
oh, this is hard for me to get through to my skull sometimes. Waiting time is not always wasted time. I don't like waiting. You? I don't like downtime. In fact, if I know I've got downtime coming up, I tend to fill it up with something. Whether it be reading or, or planning the next uh, whatever's going on, I, I, uh, we have a tendency to be driven. We have a tendency to have irons in the fire, and as soon as there's space for another one, we shove another one in there. Uh, we multitask. We like progress. We like achievement. And uh, in fact, some of us actually prefer to be spinning our wheels rather than just sitting still. Talking to anybody else like me in here? The Bible says, Psalm 46:10, be still and know that I am God. Contentment is only achieved as we take time to wait on God. Sometimes we've got to stop. I, I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes, I, and I've heard this from several people throughout this winter, uh, I don't know if uh, you're in that camp, but it almost takes getting sick for you to stop. The only time you ever sit at home during the day and spend the day at the house is if you're sick. And I've had more than one person tell me this winter, uh, you know, I think the Lord just told me to stop for a little bit and uh, dealing with the sickness. Activity. I want to make this statement. I, I want you to write this down in the notebook of your mind if you aren't taking notes, but think about this. Activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Doing the will of God is. Activity is not the mark of accomplishment. Oh, we don't live that way, though, do we? We have activity, 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 activity. If we have a moment's respite, we put more activity into it. It's the time that we live. But overextending ourselves heightens our stress. Overcommitting ourselves creates a sense of false guilt. Sometimes we just need to stop and rest. Be still, he said, and know that I am God. Rest in his security. Rest in his sovereignty. Job, uh, if you look at the story of Job, he knew pain that most likely none of us will ever get close to imagine. I mean, Job, his whole family's wiped out. His fortune's wiped out. He's left with one person that can give him a little comfort, his wife. And she says, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Lord, for leaving me with her. Job knew pain. You read the book of Job, you'll see he's hurting, he's confused, and he really wanted to know why his life had unraveled so much. He was desperate for an opportunity to hear from God, but through all of his experiences, Job never lost sight of the sovereignty of God. He said in Job 23.10, But he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tried me. I shall come forth as gold. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but God knows why. Listen, friend, today, can I, can I ask you this? Are you able to go through your life not understanding why what's happening is happening to you, but being able to trust that God does know and trusting in his sovereignty? Oh, that's hard to do, I know. It's really hard to do. Why is this happening to me? That's what Job wanted to know. And it's hard to trust in what you don't know. It's raw faith that refuses to doubt God's goodness, even when conditions deny it. When your thoughts are flooded with confusion, when the trials build up, to remember that you can walk through your trial with joy because God is sovereign. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your future. I mean, it's a, it's a comforting thing, isn't it, to put our faith and trust in God? He's in control. 
But the key to all of this is a rock-solid belief that God is good. And I wonder if this isn't where some of us really struggle. And we wouldn't admit it. We wouldn't say it out loud. We really have trouble. Is God really good? I, I know He controls all and he's a, He sees my future and I want to trust in Him, but does He really have my good in mind? Oh, friend, God is good. The peace of God has its foundation in the fact that God does all things well. Randy Alcorn, your state of mind determines whether the doctrine of God's sovereignty comforts or threatens you. There's a thought. Does God's sovereignty comfort you or threaten you? If you believe that God is good and loving and kind, this brings comfort. The fact that He's in control. If you doubt God's goodness, then you're going to be discouraged. Throughout her life, Margaret Clarkson was plagued with pain. Initially from migraines, uh, she dealt with convulsive vomiting as a child, and she got arthritis. And in fact, her first words when she was just a toddler, her first words that she spoke were, my head hurts. She hurt from a little baby. She wrote this song, So send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke and suffer scorn and scoff. So send I you to toil for me alone. She wrote this, and I quote, The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the human suffering heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our life are no accident. All evil is subject to him, and evil cannot touch his children unless he permits it. End quote. Amen? That's a great thought. Hey, the devil can't do anything to you unless God tells him it's okay. Read the book of Job. God allows these things. So can we rejoice in him? Listen, if we put ourselves in the hand of God, can you see how that will help our anxiety and our stress levels if we stop acting like it's all on us? In fact, the primary cause for stress is the fact that you're trying to control something you can't. Just, just try me out on that sometime. Sometime when you really get worked up or you're just filled with anxiety, trace it down to its source and it'll be something that you cannot control but you're trying. We just give that over to the Lord. Let Him have it. All that we are is a result of our thoughts. It's so important to be found faithful in this area. And it goes on, this, this, uh, this text, and we're not going to look at this today, but verse 8 uh, gives the positive side of it. Finally, my brother, whatsoever things are true, honest, and just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. You say, well, hey, preacher, if I'm not supposed to think about the troubles and the circumstances, what am I supposed to think about? There you go. He gives us a list. I love it when God gives us a list. Amen? I like lists because I can look at it and see exactly what I need to do. Here's a list for you. Your thinking process throughout this week. Run it through this filter. Does your thinking, just look at discouragement. Does that fit this filter? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely. If they don't pass this filter, don't think. Just think on these things. If we put an effort into how we think, rather than, because a lot of times we put an effort on how we act more than on how we think. If we apply this filter to our thinking, and we start to steward our thoughts and be found faithful in our thoughts, 
putting our thoughts through the filter of the Word of God, you'd be amazed at how your attitude would change, how your outlook would change, and how, yes, even your actions would change. But it starts with the thinking right there. There's another instance to be grateful as a child of God. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified. Thank you, what a thought that is. To know that all of our suffering is temporary. Think about that. Every bit of your suffering is temporary. One day, as joint heirs, you be glorified together. Are you a child of God today, friend? If not, listen, if you're not a child of God, much of what we talked about today doesn't even apply to you. God does these things for his children, and he wants to do them for you. Listen, God loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did so so that you could, uh, knowing that there's nothing that I can do to earn my way to heaven, there's nothing that I can do to save myself. I can't be good enough because uh, sin taints me. Understand, friend, you don't, uh, you, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. It's a condition. It's not a behavioral problem. If sin were a behavioral problem, then we could remedy the behavioral problem by changing our what? Our behavior. But we can't. Sin is a condition. And there's nothing that we can do about it. And so as sinners, God cannot allow us into his heaven. And that's why a perfect sacrifice had to be given for us on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. We know that. Every single one of us, if we have enough birthdays, what happens next? Every single one of us one day will die. If we live long enough, if Christ tarries, we're going to die one day. I'm a real encouragement to you today, aren't I? That's the truth, though. We all know that. Why? Found in that verse. The wages of sin is death. Why is there death in the world? Because there's sin in the world. Why do bad people do things uh, so horrible and unspeakable? Uh, there's sin in the world. Why is there sickness and, and disease and all these things? Why do children get sick? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And the wages of sin is death. And then he goes on to say, but the gift of God, and I love the switch in the terminology there, we earn our own death. We die because of our sin. But then he switches from a wage, and it's no longer a wage. He says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, we cannot earn heaven. We do earn our death, but it is impossible for us to earn heaven because we're sinners. And so Jesus Christ said, I love them enough that I will be their sacrifice. I'll go to the cross for them. He stretched out his arms and died for you so that he could gift you the gift of salvation. Isn't that a blessing? Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that we are to call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. The sad thing is that so many people reject the gift. And I hope that's not you today, friend. But if you have accepted the gift of salvation and if you are a child of God, can I tell you, you always, always, always have something to rejoice in. Amen? You always have something to rejoice in. So, because of that, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I hope that's a help to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a prescription that the Word of God gives us and how we can overcome anxiety and stress in our life. And if you apply this to your life, 
It'll help you. And I won't even feel you. Amen? It'll help you. Let's have every head bowed.